Welcome, Pudding People, to another episode of Everybody Loves Pudding. Today, we're going to do a little one-sided, one-person, no-interview discussion about something that we don't usually get the opportunity to talk about. But timing-wise, seems like a good opportunity to talk about, and that subject is sports. And we'll, we'll focus a little bit today on one sport in particular, uh, because as this gets released, the start of the 2020 NFL season will be one day, I guess, under... In the books, in the on the calendar, underway, under tow. Anyway, um, and this is an interesting year for sports in general, and that's kind of something I'd like to discuss uh, a bit as well. Right now, there's not a lot of sports going on. We live in the Midwest. We live in Big Ten country. There's not going to be any Big Ten sports for the fall season. Obviously, uh, football is one of those main focuses that people would be considering. Uh, but there's all the other fall sports that go along with that, too. So it's not just football. There's a lot of other men's and women's sports that will not be happening this fall. But from a professional standpoint, there are, at this point, all the major sporting uh, leagues have kind of kicked into gear. I unfortunately don't pay too much attention to soccer, so I can't speak much to that. I love hockey. I love the NHL. I've watched little to none of that this season, but it's playoff hockey. Playoff hockey is some of the best hockey that you can watch. Uh, I, I, I really am missing out on a key element by not watching hockey. And if you don't watch hockey, I get it, but it's one of the most entertaining, I think, entertaining sports to pay attention to that just doesn't get quite the attention that it deserves. But uh, we'll, we'll talk a little bit here about the NBA season. We'll talk about the baseball season so far. And I'll dig into the NFL season, but more particularly the fantasy football season, uh, as I in particular just had my draft a few days ago. And it's good to discuss what strategy um, I partake in on a regular basis, why I draft the people that I do, what my thought process is, uh, just to see if I'm kind of unique in that thought process. Uh, and I think I am. Uh, I think I'm a weirdo when it comes to the fantasy football draft, but I, I think it makes sense according to what our rules are for our league. But we'll start with one thing that I have been paying a lot of attention to, since it started back up again, and that is the baseball season for the, the MLB season. So one thing I, I think for me in particular about baseball is I'm old enough that I grew up when baseball was the best sport in, in terms of popularity. It was something that when I was able to watch baseball, uh, I, I had no cable. I had local channels. I had South Bend stations and I had Chicago stations for the most part that were drawn in from a antenna that extended 
uh, above the roof and we had to point in the right direction so that we could we could point it north so that we could still get South Bend but we could also get some of the Chicago stations were they strong enough for us to to get so what that meant was you know I guess I was in the same position as a lot of folks when it came to the more popular sports if you're going to watch NBA, if you're going to watch MLB, if you're going to watch NFL, it was just stuff that showed up on NBC or it's stuff that showed up on CBS or ABC. And that was about it. But I was fortunate enough to be close to Chicago so I could get some of the Chicago stations, uh, particularly uh, WGN, for example. WGN is its own unique station if you're not familiar with it. So it's not it's not a network in a in a traditional sense because it's not affiliated with NBC, CBS. It's its own. It's its own station with its own own show lineup, and WGN, uh, you know, was the home of the the Cubs. So I got to watch you know more Cubs games than any of the other games went to more Cubs games in person than any of the other games. So obviously. As I've grown up, it's it's more of me being a Cubs fan, uh, Bears fan, I guess Bulls fan. I grew up in the Jordan era, so it's hard not to be a Bulls fan. Uh, never really a Blackhawks fan. I was actually more of a Maple Leafs fan, fan uh, strangely enough. But anyway, we're, we're focusing on the MLB here. So... The reason that I bring up what my interest was and the teams that I paid attention to kind of falls into the more modern setting and the more modern era of baseball. Baseball is not a popular sport right now. Um, Not as popular as what it used to be. You still got huge TV contracts. You still get player contracts that are the richest of any of the sports by far, just like ridiculous player contracts because they have a strong union. That's part of it. But in terms of popularity, pace of play, the rules, it seems baseball has become outdated. And a lot of the younger folks don't pay attention to it. Now, if you're eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, I, I bet a lot of those kids still enjoy playing baseball at their local baseball leagues but growing up I don't know I think there's more attention maybe it's easier to watch maybe it's a marketing thing where kids watch more NFL watch more NBA I don't know I'm not a kid but anyway I I found myself watching less and less baseball it's just it's just hard to draw my attention and of course being a Cubs fan on a team that never won anything or was never that competitive it was hard to watch you know so but where i live what made it even worse it it comes down to just absurd rules is where i live is a barf reds area and a to a smaller extent a cardinals area and if those games are on those are going to get the primary amount of of TV time, but it's a blackout area. So if the Cubs are on, they get blacked out. Like they don't get played. So even on games where they were on ESPN, the game will be blacked out and I couldn't watch it. Just 
you know, if you're going to draw a market or you want people to watch, why would you ever black out a game? It's just dumb. The NFL is just as bad. I'm in a Colts area and I could care less about the Colts. But if the Colts are on, they won't play any other NFL games. And I just don't understand it. Like, why are you, why are you limiting your reach? Because if a lot of people, they don't want to watch the Colts. So instead of watching the Colts, they'll watch something else instead of what could be another NFL game on on another station. I just don't get why you would ever black black it out. I That boggles my mind. You're just losing viewers by doing that. And that's a bad business decision. But I don't, I don't make those decisions, right? I just watch TV. So one of the things that has changed here, and it is one of the biggest reasons why I've been watching lately, one... The season is so short, right? Super truncated. We're, we're not playing a ridiculous amount of baseball games now that seemingly have little to no energy or meaning in them on a week-to-week basis. So I like the fact that the season is actually shortened. You, you have more of a tension span and more games mean something. If you have to do a doubleheader, see the St. Louis Cardinals, you're not doing nine innings and then nine innings. It's seven and seven. You know, that, that that game becomes a quicker pace. You can pay attention to it more. If the game goes into extra innings or starting a runner on second base, once again, that game could be over instead of it going for 18 innings and just being, you know, boring. I enjoy a good pitching duel, but I don't want it to go for 18 innings. So I, I think part of that is the attention span piece of it. But the other thing, too, is I, I don't do a traditional setup in terms of TV. When I say traditional, I mean I don't have a, a a cabled internet, I mean cabled TV thing, or I don't do a satellite. I just do streaming. And honestly, a lot of folks do that right now. Um, my subscription that I have, be, and I chose this because of the delivery of the sports, was Hulu. Hulu offered a lot of sports, and it had Food Network, and it had ESPN, and all those things. You know, whatever. But one of the things I didn't even I didn't even know that the Chicago Cubs started their own network. I had no clue. Um, I didn't even know that it was on Hulu until like a, a day after the season started. Someone had mentioned it to me that I could, yeah, the, the marquee network, like you could watch all the Cubs games on that. And one of the things that really draws me into this is that I can now, because the marquee network is on Hulu, I can watch every stinking Cubs game and the if I have a good enough TV I watch it through a Hulu streaming service on an Apple TV that is a a 4k Apple TV so it will it will present this game in the highest possible quality that it can be delivered in and I'm telling you the visuals on this thing are ridiculous and honestly, a lot of times I've had I've had one of my one of my friends who was a Cardinals fan who also has Hulu has to watch the games on Marquee Network and just hates the Cubs announcers, which I get. But you know, a lot of times I won't even turn the sound on. I enjoy the crack of the bat and that type of stuff too. But a lot of times I'll just have the game on with no sound. And the visuals on the Marquee Network are just ridiculous. So that's another thing that's drawn me in is just 
seeing everything so crisp and clear and colorful on this presentation of this network that, it, that you just can't get on most ESPN presentations, TNT presentations, TBS presentations. So that's another reason that I've watched a lot more baseball this year. And I'm curious as to if that's translated to other folks as well. You know, I, 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 like I said, one of my friends is, is a Cards fan. Another, another one is a Reds fan, and they watch. They love baseball; it's their favorite sport. They can't get enough of it, so they'll watch all those games no matter what. But I'm wondering if the casual baseball fan or the person that has lost interest over the course of the last ten years, fifteen years, has come back to the baseball season because there were there were there was no sports for the longest time, and it was one of the things that kind of kicked into gear. Um, at the same time, you know, the basketball from the bubble did and, and the NHL, if, if that drew people back in just because they had the lack of sports for so many months that, shoot, I'll watch baseball. There's nothing else to watch. So that that's kind of been my, my interest level. And I'm pretty excited to see where this season goes, more playoff teams available. Uh, it should be interesting. Uh, like I said, a better pace of play, more meaningful games, plus the Cubs are doing well. For, for me personally, that makes it easier to watch as well. Um, so yeah, more MLB this year, not, not a bad thing. The NBA, the NBA is interesting. So the NBA, if, if people have been paying attention to it, basically operate in a bubble in Orlando, if I'm not mistaken. So all these NBA, and it's not the whole, it's not every NBA team. It was most of the NBA teams, but the ones that didn't have a good enough record when the season was stopped, they weren't invited to the bubble. So it was a reduced amount of teams who did a handful of play-in games to determine the actual final positioning for the playoffs. Now the playoffs are in the second rounds. Teams have been eliminated. Um, the Bucks have been eliminated, for example. So it's like a whole new season with a whole new attitude. Players got a chance to rest, and it's interesting. Why? So I'm not a I'm not a huge NBA fan. Uh, you know, one of the best players in the NBA is is James Harden, and he's one of, to, to me one of the hardest people to watch play basketball, just because of his the way he flops and the way he takes 17 steps before he shoots, and his lack of playing defense. Uh, to me, it's not entertaining basketball. Um, I like teams that play good defense and rebound and pass well. T to me, that's entertaining basketball, just as well as someone who can score 35 points a game and shoot lots of threes. I mean, that, that that's its own interest level right there. Um, so I, I like the intricacies of the game, and the NBA game in, in a lot of aspects is just kind of run up and down the court and do whatever you want whenever you feel like doing it. So that that's not exactly entertaining to me. An in-person NBA game is much more entertaining. If you have the opportunity to go to an NBA arena and watch people play basketball and see the athleticism, that's the real deal right there. You don't get that concept watching it on TV. Watching it in person, you really get to see the skill that these players have, uh, whether they're uh, you know a 40-minute player or a 10-minute player, right? So you get to see how big they are, how tall they are, how athletic they are, 
how high they can jump, how fast they can run, and you just don't get that concept by watching it on TV. But I think the the concept of the bubble is interesting, how they've kept everybody in the one spot. They've secluded everybody in a sense, and most of the NBA players have taken it seriously, and they've kept the league going. They've kept it competitive. They've kept everybody um, you know, playing at a high level without the extreme threat of it getting shut down or the extreme threat threat of people getting sick or uh, getting a positive test. So they those chances have been greatly reduced. So I applaud them for the system that they had set up. And you just can't do that with the MLB, too many players, too many places. You can't do that with the NFL. But the NBA had the opportunity to do it, and they, they set it up well. One of the most entertaining things that I found, uh, I'm a huge, if you pay attention to streaming at all, or streaming gamers, or YouTubers, or whatever, I, one of my favorites is uh, Dr. Disrespect, and he, it, how the bubble works in terms of fans, there are no fans, but there's big screens that are up along the sidelines, and those screens, it's basically someone's sitting at home in front of a, a, a camera, and it's that picture of that person on a TV screen plastered up against one side of the of the court. It's it's pretty funny just to see, but Doc was there uh, all, all head to toe in Doc, and he had his uh, Golden State hat on as well. It was just, it's just funny. He was at a Golden State playoff game behind the basket, you know, last year, maybe a year before that. It's just funny to see him anywhere out, and I just wonder how much the players, because I know the players know who he is. If they recognize him, they see him on the on the video boards. If they get excited or they're like, oh, my gosh, there he is. Uh, but one of the funniest things, too, was during one of those Rockets, uh, it was Oklahoma City, the Thunder and the Rockets. During like the final couple seconds of the game, that was like a one-point game, over the PA at the actual arena, they were playing one of Doc's songs during a timeout. It was when I heard it playing. It it was just to me. It was funny. It was funny because of the song that they were playing and because of the situation that they were playing it in. Uh, and I I just thought it was funny yet amazing at the same time. So just a little snippet of something that I was paying attention to during one of those NBA games. But the NBA, it's. It's playing out in, uh, you know, in terms of there's some interesting players, interesting teams coming through. Like I said, the Bucks are gone, and the the Heat had actually played pretty well all year. Uh, it had a good core of players, and I don't know to I don't know to like or not like Jimmy Butler, but of course he's been playing really well. Um, basically destroyed the Pacers, and I think the Pacers just. The Pacers just got hot for a little bit during the the, the the games leading up to the playoffs. And T.J. Warren played really, really, really well. And then they really saw what playing a good team was, and they just fell apart. So I'm not a big Pacers fan anyway. But it was interesting to watch bits and pieces of that series. And I think they're a good team. The Lakers, of course, obviously are... A good team. The Clippers are a good team. So it'll be interesting to see if <clears throat> after all is said and done, people thought it would just be the the Lakers and the Clippers. 
uh, actually, they thought it would be versus the Bucks, but it's interesting to see who comes out of the East this year. Um, I'll pay attention to it, but I don't know that I'll watch it too heavily. All right, so we talked about baseball, touched briefly on some basketball, and now it's time to discuss the NFL. And to be honest with you, the last oh few months I have paid little to no attention to the NFL at all in terms of the players, in terms of the teams, the contracts, the people battling for contracts. So in in terms of the details, that's one of the things about tying into fantasy. Some people pay the utmost attention to everything that goes on and they focus on that, the ins and outs when it comes to the draft. And some people, like me, sometimes just don't pay any attention to it. I like to pay enough attention to know what is going on in terms of how is the chemistry, who's healthy, how have they been playing in the preseason. Well, of course, there is no preseason. And when I say how have they been playing in the preseason, it's more of how many minutes have they been playing Have they been participating? Have the teammates thought that everything was going well? And that's important. But if you see just those two quarters worth of preseason and it shows that they're not, there's no hangover from the offseason, that they're running well, that they're throwing well, that they're catching well, even if it's just preseason, that you at least have an idea that over the course of the beginning of the season, things are going to click well. And then barring injuries later on, things may click even more so. Um, obviously, the Patriots saw a big difference. The Bucks saw a big difference in terms of how their teams are going to be made up. Patrick Mahomes signed a giganto um, contract. And the Chiefs are going to be great. The Chiefs were good last year, even though actually they were him and uh, Tyreek Hill were hurt for a portion of the, of the season, which ruined my fantasy draft last year. Um, but the season before that, they were really good too. So it'll be interesting to see if they can repeat because in today's NFL, repeating an NFL championship is hard to do. Even if you are a really good team, it's not like the that's not like baseball or the NHL or basketball where you can have a bad game but just make it up in the next couple games. In the NFL, if you have a bad game, you're done. Like there, there's no makeup. So that's that's why I say it's a lot harder to do that type of repeat in the NFL, just because there's so there's so many things in the NFL that are just wild cards where you don't expect some player to play well and they beat they amp they amp up their team, they beat the better team, and then the next week they just flop and get destroyed by somebody else. So it's just so inconsistent week to week. And if you go into the NFL playoffs and your team is healthy and your team has a good chemistry that they have developed in the last couple bits of the NFL season, then you have a better shot going into the playoffs. Um, So it'll be interesting to see how the NFL season plays out in a lot of different reasons, uh, just because the players, the contracts, the quarterbacks, but apparently so far testing has gone okay. And it will be interesting to see after these players start engaging in games, how many more positive tests are going to be seen 
and what the reaction is going to be to those positive tests. Are they going to suspend games? Are they going to cancel games? Are they going to cancel the season? And there's so many players on a team that all it takes is one or two who just go out to a nightclub or spend uh, an afternoon at a barbecue with some friends. And then it's just a downward spiral for from there. So it's going to be interesting to see if all the players on the teams just keep to themselves for all of these months to negate positive tests to keep the season going. So I'm real curious after the first couple of weeks to see exactly how that's going to go. Not having players in the, the stands, I don't think in any of these sports, it means as much as what people look into it. Obviously, it's great to have the players, the, the, the fans in, have their reactions, have the interactions, have the signs, have the, you know, for football, have the tailgates, have just a roaring crowd of 60,000. Like, you can't replace that. But I think they'll get over it pretty quickly. And although they'll miss it, they'll still be fine. It'll be better for the offenses because they can clearly communicate. It'll be better for the defenses because they can clearly communicate. So I, I don't really foresee that being too big of of an issue. Um, and the pumped-in fan noise is fine, especially when you're watching it on TV. It you don't really you don't really miss the real cheers. Uh, so t- to me as a as a fan watching it on TV which I, which I who knows how many games I'll actually get to watch I, I don't think missing this the stands like the people in the stands I don't think that'll be a big deal uh, but on to on to a little discussion about fantasy football so obviously fantasy football is big business has been big business for quite some time and I've I've had a fantasy football team. God, like we did fantasy football. It's it's even hard to imagine how old our league is at this point. We've had it since the '90s, I want to say. So we've been doing a fantasy football league for quite some time, and of course, players have evolved, uh, roles within games have evolved. So consequently, our scoring system has evolved. I, I remember we used to not do defenses in the sense that we did defensive players so you would get you get points for tackles you get points for interceptions you get points for touchdowns but on an individual basis so you could actually start individual defensive players and obviously that's been a big change too um you can what was it you could do you know most of the 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 layout of the teams was focused around running backs you know quarterback two running backs a flex player two wide receivers and that's evolved. You know, the NFL's evolved a lot. You know, the running game isn't what it used to be. The value of the running game, the value of the running back isn't what it used to be. And and I want to say fantasy fantasy football leagues and teams haven't gone with that evolution. And our team has, our league has for the longest time. You know, one of the big things in talking about when when, when looking at other fantasy teams is how they have a, a league set up eight players, 10 players, 12 players. Um, I was in a secondary league before that had 12 players and you were required to start two quarterbacks. It was the dumbest thing ever because 
it was impossible to get two good quarterbacks that you could start on a routine basis. And one one player would just like hoard four quarterbacks and it would just, you know, totally screw over everybody else in the league. So, you know, our league, we've got 10 players. I think 10's a good, I think 10's a good place. When you have eight, you get more teams that are stacked. When you get 12, you get more teams that are thinned out. So I think 10 is a good spot to be in, in terms of a, a fantasy football league. In terms of positioning, if you have a fantasy football league and you're doing two quarterbacks, I'm sorry, you're dumb. But I get why people do those leagues. It's just so annoying to have to start two quarterbacks, right? Especially when in the league, there's like 12 that are good. So to have to start two on one team is just so infuriatingly frustrating that I, I I couldn't picture being in a league every year where that was something that you had to plan on. Um, most of the leagues will do two running backs. Most of the leagues will do two wide receivers for the longest time. We actually did three wide receivers with no tight end required. We haven't had a tight end required in quite some time. Now, that was one thing that we might look into in the future with the evolution of how the NFL works. The tight end has become more and more of a important position in terms of offense, where if your league requires a tight end and has always required a tight end, once again, it's su- it's such a tough position because there's like five tight ends that are good and the rest, you know, will get you 20 points a game. So to, to handicap or handcuff your league that way you're not you're handcuffing teams yes but you're handcuffing your league because you're limited to how the NFL works and the amount of players within the NFL and when you do two quarterbacks when you require a tight end you're just handcuffing a man you get that one good that one good tight end cool you're you're great for your team but the other half of the league is just stuck in a myriad of trying to pick up a tight end every week that's going to get more than 2 points so I'm glad that our league doesn't require the tight end. Um, I liked having two wide receiver. You could do wide receiver or tight end. I liked having three. Uh, what we've evolved to in the last couple of years is a flex position. So two running backs, two wide receivers, and one flex position. Um, that's okay, too, because although I think there are more quality wide receivers, and there's more mid-level wide receivers available just because there's a larger number of them. Um, the flex position, if you happen to, to luck into getting you know, two, three good running backs or you're on a bye week where you have three strong running backs and only two wide receivers, you have the flexibility of putting in place that third running back should you need to do that. Um, I guess my position for our league, we, we've been a, a PPR league for quite some time. And I think that just adds so much more value to every position that's not a quarterback. Um, we do bonuses for longer, longer scores. You know, you you hit a score that's 50 yards or more, you're going to get bonus points. You hit over 150 yards rushing or receiving, you're going to get bonus points. You hit over, gosh, I can't remember what it is, over 300 yards passing, you get a bonus. So like. There's all these little bonuses that a lot of other leagues don't do too. So it values those 
big play wide receivers. It values those um, those volume receivers. It also values the running backs that are multi-dimensional, that can play three downs, because there's not a lot of running backs that are three down backs. There are two down backs, and then there's re- your receiving running back. So with a, in a PPR league, not only are you valuing that running back that gets you five catches a game, but you're also valuing that wide receiver that, you know, let's say that wide receiver, they're not a 1,500-yard receiver. Maybe they're a 1,000-yard receiver. But you know what? They get you 110 catches. So, you know, Julian Edelman's a good example of that, where just a volume receiver, maybe not gobbling up the yard. So it just changes the dimension of how you think about an NFL draft from a fantasy standpoint. So... I, I guess my thought, and I mentioned before that I do more unconventional um, draft strategy, is at least from our league standpoint, I value running backs, but I only value running backs that get volume. Um, if you if you are a running back and you're going to get twelve hundred yards, but you're going to have ten catches, cool, I don't care. If you're going to do 1,200 yards and you get to get five touchdowns, I like that. Cool. I don't care. I want the running back that's going to do more things because if they are going to only get 80 yards rushing in a game, but they're going to pick up five catches for 20 yards also, well, shoot, I just got an extra seven points, even though they had a bad running, even though they had a bad running week. So that's why, you know, the traditional, Additional running back, I just don't value. I want the running back that's going to do more. And in terms of positioning in the draft, the the, the player in our league that scores the most points every single game, every single week, every single year, the players that are the highest volume, the highest point scoring producers are quarterbacks. So what a lot of people think about in terms of a draft is I'm not going to draft a quarterback until like the fourth or fifth or the sixth round because there's always quarterbacks and they'll get points. Well, shoot, you know, if there's a quarterback that's going to get you 35 points every single game, like to me, there's value in that or a running back that's going to get you 15 points this game, but give you eight points the next game. So you can start more running backs. You can start more wide receivers. I understand that. But to me, I always thought if I if there was a quarterback that was going to produce large amounts of points and they were going to do it every game, that that quarterback had a value in the first round to me because the running backs that were there didn't. Um, I always, my, my draft history, and I didn't do it this year. I switched it up just for, you know, S's and G's. Uh, I traditionally draft wide receiver heavy, draft the running backs in the fifth or sixth round because inevitably you will find one running back of value in the fifth or sixth round, fourth round, and you will pick one up later on in the year that has become valuable due to injuries or just due to inconsistent play from the starters. So there, there's your two running backs that I always would come across. But if you could do, if you, it's simple math. If you can do, 
If your best running backs got you 20 points a game and you could start two of them, or your best wide receivers could get you 20 points a game, but you could start three of them, wouldn't you rather get three 20-point scores as opposed to two 20-point scores? That's just simple math to me. That's why I always valued getting those high-end wide receivers in the first, second, and third rounds. I'd go drafts where I'd just do wide receiver at like the first three rounds, one, two, and three. Wouldn't even wouldn't even draft a, a running back till at least the fourth round, if not later. So it, it all depends on your scoring system in your league. But I think the traditional take on the running back as the most value position in a fantasy football draft, I think is just short-sighted. And it depends on that running back. So, you know, when Christian McCaffrey was drafted, and he was a rookie, I drafted him high because I thought he would produce. I thought he would catch a lot of balls. I thought he would do okay running. And it turned out he did pretty good. And, of course, last year he just destroyed things. So for me in the first round, I saw value in him because he. if you're going to get as many catches as he, as he does, I don't care about his running. He's effectively a wide receiver that I can plant in the wide re, in the running back position. So he was an oddball for me to choose this year, but I was okay doing it. Even though they have a different coach and a different quarterback, um, my easy answer is, well, who was their quarterback last year? And people's response like, oh yeah, that's right. Uh, so the quarterback position does matter, but in terms of his production, I don't think it does. Um, the coach, that will probably matter more. And we'll see how that plays out for the course of the year. So I, I guess one of the summaries I, I, I want to throw out here is that there's more value, depending on your league, in the quarterback than waiting until like the sixth round to pick up a quarterback. Um, to me, there's more value in wide receivers, especially if you're in a PPR league. There's more wide there's value in wide receivers um, than there are in running backs. And... Once you start getting down to rounds like 9 and 10, at, at that point, you're not going to pick up some secret, sneaky person. You may be lucky and get the person who goes off, and you may not be. So those later round drafts are kind of a, a who cares. Uh, I had the longest tradition for probably eight years in a row. I drafted Steven Gaskowski like in the eighth round, ninth round. Uh, every single year I drafted him. Um, he changed. He's not on the Patriots. I didn't draft him this year. Um, you know, the defenses, the, the, the defenses we've made a rule for ours that you can't get negative points as a defense. So even if they just do have a horrible game, you'll get zero. You won't get negative points. So that emphasizes having a defense in a certain sense where the defense is always overlooked and the defense is just a throwaway position. At least in our league, they have value. They give up 50 points and... They gave up 500 yards, but they returned a punt for a touchdown. You're still going to get six points, right? So what I'm saying of that is our defense isn't necessarily a throwaway position and you have to pay attention to it because you could always get points for a defense. So I don't mind drafting a defense in like the 10th round or the 11th round if I think they're going to produce, if they're going to be good, if they're going to get 
return touchdowns, if they're going to get interceptions. There's value in those positions where some scrub throwaway, uh, you know, fourth string wide receiver that you read on the internet is going to have a great year and get 50 catches and you're going to pick him up in the 13th round. Who cares? You know, I, I just don't, I don't see the value in that. Um, the other thing in terms of fantasy too, and this may be the most underrated thing is if you are looking at everything from a fantasy standpoint and your gut tells you that this player on this team is going to perform this well this year because they're healthy and they've got a great coach and they've got all these things and you like that player and you everybody says, oh, draft him in the fourth round because that's the value of that player. But you draft him in the second round, that's okay because you like that player, you want that player, and you don't want someone else just to pick them up later on. I see, I see value in that as well. Draft the players that you think are going to do well before someone else does because you want that player on your team. So if you get them around ahead of what everybody else thinks, who cares? Because you got the player that you want, no one else did. So I, 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 think, I think that's really underrated in terms of a fantasy draft. Um, the other, the other side little thing that I pay attention to a little bit in terms of fantasy drafts too, is the offense as a whole. Um, you know, the Kansas city one's easy because the quarterback's awesome. The coach likes to put up points and they've got really good players around them. But if the offense is going to produce. So let's let's say you you have your eye on a wide receiver and you think that wide receiver is going to be good, but they're on a really crappy offense. But you think they're still going to get the majority of the things because they're the only option that's on that team. I, I kind of beg beg to differ in a, in a lot of aspects. So um the the Bengals for example. Bengals are a good one this year, right? Where They've got uh, Joe Mixon, who will run the ball a lot and catch the ball a lot. And they've got A.J. Green, which is a great wide receiver. But the team's bad, and their offense will be really bad, too. So drafting those players have this really high upside. But if the offense is just going to be bad, then they're not going to get the points anyway. You can look at it from another aspect, too they may be playing from behind the whole season. So they're just going to be slinging the ball over the place. How good is Joe Burrow going to be in his rookie year? Rookie quarterbacks are really never that great, um, but they still may put up 3000 yards and some of the wide receivers may get 50 catches and stuff like that. So like it'll happen. They'll get points and they'll have big games. Um, I just think when you look at a fantasy draft, you should also look at offensive production from a team as a whole and consistency. If you look at the some some of the wide receivers that can have those big 150 yard games, so like the Colts, T.Y. Hilton's a great example. So like T.Y. Hilton will, Hilton will have those games where he'll get like five catches, 150 yards, and two touchdowns, and get you a ton of points. But then the next week he'll have five catches for you know 40 yards and no touchdowns. I want the players, wide receivers and running backs that are going to get me points every single week. I don't care if they never get me 30 points in a game, but if they get me 15 points every single game, I'm way more excited about that. 
because I know that if they have one of those 15-point games, that's way better than them getting a five-point game. And maybe one of the other players on my team will get that 30-point game. So I guess overall, when I, when I look at these, I look for, for the most part, offenses as a whole that are going to be productive and players that are going to be consistently productive that can produce, even if they have a bad week, are still going to get you double digit points. And if they can't get you double digit points every week, in my opinion, they're not a good player. So that's where the running back position comes into play, right? Like the person rushes for the person rushes for 80 yards, gets no catches and no touchdowns, you know, in the NFL world or other fantasy, you know, other fantasy teams like, okay, man, I'll take that. Like to me, that's not good enough. Um, my running back has to get me double digit points every single week. And that's, I want that consistency. I want that attention and I want that production every single week. So yeah, those are my thoughts on fantasy football and how I draft and why I draft, I guess. Um, you know, what's, what's some feedback? I know by this time, by the time this gets released, the football season will have started. Everybody should have their fantasy draft completed at that point in time. I guess the thing would be to look back on your draft and and think about, well, how did I draft or why did I draft? What was my feeling that I had about that draft or that player in that draft? And did it make sense to you at the time? Uh, because when I drafted my stuff, it always makes sense to me. And I always think I have the best team. But I definitely go into it with a certain feeling and a certain strategy, but not a certain uh, uh, completion strategy, just a certain at the moment strategy and who's available and what the thought process is. So after all my ramblings, thanks for spending some time with me today. Um, as always, we have our social media locations that you can go to I'm a little more active on Twitter. We'll start to get a little bit more active on our Instagram. Uh, we, of course, will do the occasional YouTube video, just depending on the quality and the time and, and what we want to put up. But uh, I know recently I put up a, a small amount of Call of Duty videos. If you guys like that, let us know. I'll put up some more really bad gameplay footage. Um, all of our stuff is Pudding Guys. Uh, if you go to Twitter, it's Real Pudding Guys. But all of our social media accounts, you can go to Pudding Guys. You can go to the Pudding Guys for Patreon. Uh, we have we have ones that are just a dollar a month to help us out. You know, get better microphones, get better computers to record our stuff on. So whatever you can do, whether you do a visit, a subscription, a, a like on a page, uh, forward our post to someone else so that they can do a like, that would be much appreciated. You know, the more clicks and the more listens we get to the better that makes us feel on a week-to-week -week basis. So until next time, Pudding People, thanks for spending some time with me and have a good day.